raise the bar on health, and live with maximum vitality. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page. Andrea is a Bali-based naturopath redefining health as living with maximum vitality. Tune in for practical life advice and start aligning with what your body wants. Our bodies are trying to talk to us. Let's listen. To the bottom of the mouth and relax the jaw. Make sure the belly is nice and full. Space between the back teeth. Sitting here calmly with the eyes closed. Surrender through the hips, the knees, the ankles the wrists, the elbows, the shoulders. And please join me uh, for a little bit of chanting. We're in a yoga studio, so this is acceptable, right? We're going to chant Om together, and then I'll chant a short mantra that's asking for um, grace upon the path of this relationship in this room this evening. And then I'll invite you to chant Om once and Shanti, which means peace in Sanskrit, three times. And so we'll start together with an OM. Exhale fully. Inhale completely. Join me, one omen, three shantis. if anything changed for you from the beginning of the class until now. Notice if your body, your physical body feels any different or if your mental body or your emotional body feel any different or the same. And then gently allow your eyes to open. Beautiful. Thank you everyone for embracing that. I've never done that in a health class. I always do it in yoga, but never in health talks. Awesome. So tonight we will be talking about some things perhaps that people eat or consume that uh, they would behoove better not to. Maybe they would be healthier not to, and then we'll weave our way through dairy and toward juicing. All right. So who am I? Why am I talking? 
good question. Um, I'm just someone who tries to get people to think because we've been taught how not to think in the world of today, unfortunately. Right, we've been sold things. And if you want to sell someone something, then um, often the strate strategy is to make them feel a little bit bad about themselves or make them feel like they're lacking something so that they need to buy whatever you have and that then they'll thus be fulfilled by having whatever you're selling. Anyone know basics of marketing? That's like 101. All right, good. Glad we covered that. So I'll start by saying you have everything you already need. The anti-marketing. I am the ultimate anti-health marketing. And uh, that brings us to the thesis of natural medicine, which is that the body can heal itself. I say that twice because it's not something that you're taught in school. The body can heal itself. It just has to be given the space and the time to do so. I'm also a little bit um, stunned right now because a dear friend just popped back into my life, literally, um, after a few years, and he's an incredibly special person. And um, I'm reminded of him because he, his leg was just eaten like six weeks ago by some sanding machine or something, and it looks as good as new. And then he told me a story of a few years ago when he was here in Bali, and he, he broke his nose and reset it himself and juice fast did for seven days, and it was as good as new after a week. <laughs> so those are just two small examples of the body healing itself. And to bring it close to home and to bring it to you, you know this. If you've ever had a cut or a scrape or a burn right, or a flu or anything, sometimes if you just chill out and relax, everything gets better. So that's something we can take beyond acute or chronic illness <laughs> into life. If you just chill out and relax, everything gets better. <laughs> so let that be lesson one. If you're taking notes, <laughs> something to take with you, right? These are silly things. My intention in these lectures is not to tell you anything you don't know, but rather to remind you of the things that you do know, right? And bring them back up once again so they can start to be reprioritized in your life. Because that's what health is. That's what commitment to health is, is prioritization. Everyone knows we should drink more water and fruits and vegetables are good for you. That's what I spend about half of the time talking about most of the time. And I talk about it in a way that makes more sense, in a way that takes your knowing, your understanding from the mind and into the body. And that's when things start to be acted on, when the knowing and the understanding goes from here to here. And so that's what we really do here at the Yoga Barn through the fasting programs that we administrate. Fasting is one of the fastest ways not only to get healthier, but to start to understand your body on a whole new level. So we can talk about that later. But I like to begin every lecture that I give, every public talk, by just showing you my cards, because I find it very important that anyone giving a public lecture, uh, they probably have some opinions. And I'm no exception to that. And so I, I prefer to show you mine up front. Yeah. So I, I, everything I do is based upon... Uh, natural medicine, and uh, the system of natural medicine that I practice is called natural hygiene. Natural hygiene comes to us about 100 years ago. Uh, it's quite an old science that was more or less dropped off with the advent of pharmaceuticals. And so my teachers are people who are no longer living. 
right, from way back when. And um, natural hygiene is the science of understanding the body in its natural state, the human body in environment, right? It looks at the human body and how it can be healthy. So it's a science of health. And this is very different than Chinese medicine, Indian medicine, Tibetan medicine, right? Even Andean medicine from South America, right? Because these are all systems of medicine. A system of medicine is implying that something is broken and it needs to be fixed. And it's often using an external input to fix the body. So whether that's herbs, right? Or whether that's green juice, right? Or whether that's food, or whether that's massage, or what it is, whatever else it is. These are all incredible things. They're medicines that you can use to heal the body. But the thing that I said at first was that the body can heal itself. That it doesn't need medicine. So I practice, again, a system of health. That's what natural hygiene is. It's going back to abide by the laws of nature so that the body can spend its energy on healing itself. All right. Now, we'll get more into this. Maybe I'll remind, it, remind you of it at the end so that you can revisit that concept. But does that make sense so far? Did I lose anyone? If I lose you, just like, say something, all right, and I'll be there. I'll grab you. Okay. So I'm practicing a system of health, and my greatest intent in, in the work that I do is to help people reconceptualize the meaning of health. I often use the phrase, raising the bar on health, because it's been way too long that we've defined health as absence of disease, right? You're not sick, so you're healthy, right? If someone asks you how you are and you say, well, at least I have my health, right, because you're not sick, well, my desire is to share with people that you have the ability to wake up every morning feeling fantastic. The ability to wake up like you did when you were a little kid, maybe five or six years old. Get out of bed and say, yes, what can I create today? Right? How can we play? What can this body show me? What can I explore? Do you ever feel inspired from inside? Like you want to move, you want to do things? Does that happen like once a month? Something like that? You've had that feeling before. Imagine if you had that like every day or at least every other day, right? Quite more often than you do now, perhaps. That, to me, is health. And in that kind of body, disease is no question. It's, it's not going to happen because how you're living your life is preventing disease rather than preparing for it. Preventing disease rather than causing it. And so uh, I'm quite young, as you can see, right? And, and I'm a naturopathic doctor. I didn't say that yet. Um, but people are always astounded. Well, the thing is, I'm a preventative medicine doctor. Most doctors are curative, or they say curative medicine doctors, right? So they should be old, because they're going to deal with you later in life. I'm going to deal with you when you're young so that you never get old, right? And I do believe that aging is a myth. We have studies, finally, science has admitted that cancer manifests in the body up to 20 years before it's ever seen in the laboratory. All right, well, what is cancer 20 years before it's cancer? Well, it's toxicity. It's acidity. It's things that couldn't be digested or emotions that weren't processed. It's stress that's held in the form of toxic matter in the fat cells, and toxic matter is anything unfamiliar to your body, anything that is not food for your body, anything unrecognizable to your body. Right? Most food on grocery shelves. <laughs> right? Anything that's not a whole food. You know? 
things that you know. This is stuff you know. Anything that can't be washed out because you're simply not drinking enough to wash it out, right? Poop that wasn't eliminated because about 85% of the world today doesn't poop enough. Yeah? Anyone know how many times you're supposed to poop? Yeah. Once per meal per day. Once per meal per day. If you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's three. We did our math. Something goes in, something should come out, just like babies, just like dogs. Any proud three poopers in the room? Come on. Throw up your hand. That a girl. That a girl. All right, we got three. We got four. That's a really good percentage. But that is, that's about 80%, right? That's, that's fitting to the percentage that I gave you. I have massive clinical and epidemiological population-based evidence that supports that percentage that I so liberally say. One of my other biases, my cards that I'm showing to you, is that uh, I'm a career colon hydrotherapist. I'm the director of the colonics clinic here at the Yoga Barn, right? And I've seen thousands of, yeah, right? She makes a face of, ooh, no. Come on, of colonic sessions where I can learn so much about what's stored inside of the body, about what people aren't releasing. Does this make sense? Yeah? All right. So uh, we'll stop at poo. I always try to make sure that that's in every lecture. But uh, the thing about health today is that people are so overly talking about the input, about juicing, or about what to eat, or what not to eat, right? They're all concerned and focused up here. And no one's looking down here, right? But even if you're doing the perfect thing this way in the input, and you're not having anything come out, that is not going to produce health. So let that be awakening as well, all right? So... Any other biases I forgot? Yes, I have a Master's of Science in Ethnobotany, which is the study of the relationship between people and plants. And my specialty is gastroethnobotany, the study of food plants. And so I'm, I'm not only concerned about uh, what to eat, but I'm concerned about how that plant, that food, was prepared, when it was picked, what soil it was grown in, right? what continent it originated from, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And an ethnobotanist kind of kicks the nutritionist in the butt out of the, right? Because it's a lot cooler. It's actually looking at stuff. Because if you say broccoli is good for you, well, what is broccoli? Right? A genetically modified variety of broccoli is completely different than something that's been grown in Italy over generations in soil that's so microbially active, right? And you went out and cut it this morning. Completely different. So the field of nutritional science is quite shallow. <coughs> Really super shallow, super shallow. Right, so we're going to get a little deep. We're going to start uh, tonight's lecture with talking about some things that people are commonly eating today that are harmful to the human body. And this is really important because they're not things that would normally flash across your awareness. Yeah, Things like donuts. Who thinks donuts are good for you? Okay, good. So I'm glad that we got that far. So that's something obvious. We're not going to be talking about the obvious stuff this evening. All right? So uh, since you brought it up, we, I guess, can start with milk. Yeah? How's that feel? We'll start with milk. Uh, milk. My milk talk. This is a really popular one. I used to teach um, kids in Taiwan, and I, would, I have a milk spiel that I developed for them. And so, um, if this is childish in any way, you know why. Okay? So, milk. Where does milk come from? 
moo. No, I just, you don't have to make the sound. That's a joke. Okay. Yes, cows. Milk comes from cows. Why do cows produce milk? To feed their babies. Okay, fantastic calves, baby cows. They're like this big. Have you seen them? So cute. So, so super cute. If you haven't seen a baby calf, please, please go to a farm at some point and see, see one. They're so sweet. Okay? So, yes, they're born about this size. That's huge to be born that size, right? And they drink their cow's milk, their mother's milk, from the udder, right? So that they can grow from this size to this size in six months' time, from this size to this size in six months' time. All right, so that's, that's number one. First, I don't, I don't know why I would ever want to drink that. Right, that's, that's first, but okay, we got that out of the way. It's four baby cows. Now you, when you were a baby, what did you have? Actually, I didn't have... Okay, I'm going to ask the other side then. <laughs> you, when you were a baby, what did you have? <laughs> the milk from my mother. It's okay. <laughs> the milk from your, mother, from your mother's udder, which we call a breast yeah. on a human being. So your mother makes milk. So what... That, what you, he's going to his mother for milk. You were going to your mother for milk. Okay, all right. We got that clear. Good. So we have our own milk source. All right. Well, let's look at this a little anatomically. Cows have four stomachs. Last time I checked, each one of you, you only had one, right? Anyone? Anyone have an extra stomach? <laughs> Secrets you're hiding? Yes. Oh, we, we only have one. So we see a very basic anatomical difference. We can only assume that the physiology here, right, in being the enzymes released to digest the milk, are probably a little bit different, all right? So we'll revisit that concept. But I want to take both of you back to this cow, right? This baby cow, right? And then it's mama cow. How does the cow get milk from its mama? Yeah, sucking the udders. Yeah, the teat, she said. <laughs> Very good. Very, that was the technical term. Very good. Okay, now everyone, come with me. Ready? Imagine. <laughs> yes, you are... Sucking the teat from a cow. Can you imagine that? Are you comfortable with that? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'm, that's fine, that's fine. Okay, so I'm just throwing out some things there. Okay, now let's go on to looking at perhaps what milk does in the human body. When you drink milk, does anyone know kind of what the body's response is? Yeah. Okay, I'm talking about on a more like base level basis. You as a human, what do you feel when you drink milk? Huh? Oh, okay, well you have a stomach ache, all right. How about this? We'll approach it like this. Has anyone ever had a cold? Or you've had a flu or something and they say don't drink, don't drink milk. There we go. That's it. They're screaming for you. You got it. Yes. Milk makes you mucousy. By all means, that's why we're not supposed to have it when we're sick because you already have mucus there and so you wouldn't want to have something that's mucusy. Okay, well let's take a step back and look at mucus and interpret mucus as a signal or a message from the human body because that's what it is. Mucus is like the human body's defense shield. It's an armor that it's put up over its sensitive absorptive mucus membranes where it says, no, don't touch me. You see that? 
I don't want that. And then it puts up this shield of mucus so that whatever you've taken in can slide down and through and right out without touching your body. Can you believe that? Your body is shielding itself against milk. Well, this makes a little sense if we know that that's meant for baby cows and breast milk is meant for baby humans. So, fast forward with me. I'll take you to uh, Saudi Arabia, where a dear friend of mine lived for several years with her family. She was American. She was an expatriate. And uh, it was her son's birthday. Her, her son went to the international school, and she thought she would be a really good mother, and so she invited all of his classmates over for a big old American birthday party. So there you have these seven-year-olds. About half of them are Saudi, and half of them are expatriates. So they could be Canadian, American, British, French, whatever... Colombian, who knows? Right? And all of these kids are there eating what? American birthday party. What do they eat? Cake and ice cream. All right. They gobble it down. You can see the little kids going crazy in their sugar high. Boom, boom, boom. Once they finish, clock hits about 20 minutes later, and voila, there are all these Saudi kids in the bathroom vomiting. And we say, Whoa, first of all, she was really embarrassed. Second of all, when we look at a body, right, a human body that has been not exposed, not exposed to this substance that's perhaps foreign to the human body food repertoire, and we feed it to that very sensitive, right, very decisive human body, it knows right away whether it wants it or not. Does that make sense? I'm actually a strong believer that when we see any kind of intolerance in our species, for example, lactose intolerance, that that is a warning flag or a signal to all of us. Just the people with lactose intolerance, their bodies are still like those seven-year-old Saudi Arabian children. They're still responding. They're still reacting. They're still acutely trying to fight for what's best. The rest of us, right? If you're of Northern European ancestry, perhaps, where milk was most recently heralded into modern culture, your system is so used to this barrage of something foreign that it has stopped reacting. Does that make sense? But hey, I'm an evolutionary anthropologist in nature, and so I look at a lot of the similarities between us and the great apes, yeah, like chimpanzees, bonobos, gorillas, yeah. And we share more than like 98% with those guys. And so we share like almost 100% with each other. That's our DNA. We are all one species, no matter what color, right, or what food preference. And so when we see something like this, like these Saudi Arabian children, right, when we can attach that to the fact that we are the only mammals who drink another mammal's milk, right, we can start to say, wait a minute, maybe there's something we're not thinking about here. Okay, so that's my little spiel on milk. And I'll also finish it by saying that a lot of the need to drink milk came from the United States of America yeah, in the 1950s. You can see the videos that were released by uh, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, right? the ADA, American Dietary Association. Right? And they were given a lot of money 
by American farmers in things like dairy, cattle, right, beef, wheat, yeah, bread. And all of this money that they were given by the lobbyists for these farming associations affected their policy. And so you'll see videos from the 50s. Sally and Jim sit down to have a well-rounded breakfast of bacon and eggs, three slices of toast, a large glass of orange juice, and don't forget their big old glass of milk. Right? That's my best. That's, that's all I got for you guys tonight. I might pull out Indian later, but yeah. Okay? So this knowledge that we think we know that milk is good for us, where does it come from? Really, where does it come from? Ask yourself that. The people here in Indonesia, right? Were you told to drink milk? Okay, well, he had to think about it, so let's just leave it there. <laughs> right? No. In East Asia, you don't see milk as a part of the culture at all. Right? And it's only fairly recent, and people are not reacting so well to it. When we take this into the realm of science, something I often do because I am a scientist in essence as well, we can look at studies, epidemiological, population-based studies, linking correlation of diet and disease. And we start to see, indeed, that the countries, the three countries with the highest milk consumption, ready? Denmark, per capita, Sweden, and the United States of America, are also the three countries with the highest rates of osteoporosis. You know what osteoporosis is? Anyone? Weakening of the bones. Porosity of these bones. Right? And bones are made of what? Calcium. Calcium and collagen. Yeah, but calcium, isn't that what they told us was in milk? Didn't they say that milk was going to make our bones stronger? Well, then how on earth do the three countries with the highest rates of milk consumption have the weakest bones? Anyone? It's a lie. It's a lie. <laughs> it's a lie. I love her. It's a lie. Did you see that Got Milk campaign from the 90s? All those sexy models where they had a white mustache and they were like, Got Milk? I'll never forgive Angelina Jolie for posing for that ad. Never. Never forget. I hope she listens to this recording one day. Never forgive her. Maybe, maybe one day I could forgive her. But you see, that ad, that ad campaign was so big and so widespreading, of course funded by American Milk Association, right? That everyone thinks, almost everyone, except for the smart people, like you will be in a moment, everyone thinks that milk makes strong, healthy bones. But the truth of the matter, the studies show that that's just not the case. All right? So, as with anything I ever say, and as with anything I'll say tonight, I don't want you to believe me, I want you to verify me. Yeah? I plant ideas in these sessions for you to take home with you and start to experiment with. Right? What I aim to gift you is a consciousness over all of these things, so you can start to understand, okay, look, I'm going to sit down and have my glass of milk. Did you hear from my mouth that I said, don't drink milk? No, I haven't said that, and I don't intend to say that. Right? That's not what I'm here for. If you do drink milk, please. All I'm asking is that you have that consciousness that I'm gifting you over how it makes your body feel. And that conscious awareness is what takes the knowing from up here in the head to down here in the body, in the belly, and the heart. 
And that's when it sticks. Because we all know what's good for us mentally, but we don't practice, we don't embody it, we don't feel it. Yeah. So that's what we're here to do. Okay? So, milk. Definitely in almost every processed packaged food, baked good, right? Coffee, tea, right? Should I keep going? Chai, yeah, for sure. It's almost everywhere, right? I want to say a few more things about milk. Um, one of them is in relation to uh, the acidity or alkalinity. Do you guys know about acidity and alkalinity? I'll take you back to high school chemistry. I do this also um, in, in other lectures that I give, but I'll give a teeny little, maybe five-minute blip on acidity and alkalinity. In high school chemistry, you had this scale, and you had these strips of paper. They were litmus paper. Yeah, to create litmus tests. And the scale goes from zero to 14. It's rounded, it's beautiful, it's like yeah, rainbow. And there are colors, there are different colors, right? Battery acid would test red all the way down here at zero. Something super, super, super alkaline would test blue or purple all the way up here. And there's these intermediaries. So zero to 14 is the scale, seven is neutral, all right? Now, human blood. It tests at about 7.34. It cannot deviate above or below that too much or else you'll die. And so your body is willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that you maintain that slight alkalinity of the human blood. Right? But the thing is today that our life is filled with everything on the acidic side. Can you name some acidic things or happenings or foods? Name them out. Huh? Alcohol, love it, yeah. I mean, I don't love it, but Coffee. yes. Coffee, yes. Meat. Wheat. Sugar, cheese. I don't have any more fingers. Okay, chocolate. <laughs> that one was a deal breaker. Everyone got quiet. They're like, chocolate's acidic. <laughs> I love it. All right. I'm going to name some things that were not on your list. Stress, processed oils, right? Fried food. In general, electromagnetic radiation, cell phones, laptops, cities, loud sounds, your annoying little brother, your nagging mother. All of these things have an acidic effect on the human body. Okay, all right, we'll get there. That's too technical for my general overview right now, okay? So we, we start to notice the acidic side. Come with me to the alkaline side. Name out some things that are alkaline. Fruits. Lemon. Fruits. Vegetables. vegetables. Specifically leafy green vegetables. All right, think outside of the box like we did with the last one. Love yoga. Love yoga. I love you guys. Yeah, keep going. Oxygen. Oxygen. Meditation. Meditation is alkaline, yes. Okay, fasting. This is interesting. Fasting isn't... Okay, I guess it's as much of a thing as love. All right, we'll play with that one. Say again? Friendship. Friendship, totally. Friendship is hugely alkaline. Okay, so we start to get an idea. I think the only foods that we had were fruits and vegetables. And that's it, really, because those are the only foods that are truly on the alkaline side. So we start to see our life pretty clear in this rainbow of acidity to alkalinity. 
When natural health enters this, the common underlying thesis is that disease can and will only exist in acidity. Disease cannot and will not ever exist in alkalinity. And mind you, I don't mean to try to make you way too alkaline. In fact, I'm not sure if it's possible in the modern world because we have all of those acidic influences on us at all times. Right? But the idea here is that you're slightly alkaline, somewhat in balance, like your blood. You see? And so, uh, one of my dearest friends, a doctor friend, says that the cheapest and fastest way that you can scientifically prove your health right now <laughs> is through going to get a pH test. And you can find these at health food stores. You can order them offline. You can order them on Amazon. It's this little roll of pH paper. So write that on your to-do list, first thing to do. And all you have to do is when you wake up first thing in the morning, get some saliva before you talk, before you drink water, before you brush your teeth, before you do anything, spit on the paper, flick it a few times, wait 10 seconds, and then compare the color to your little key. Right? And you'll see what your acidity or alkalinity is. You can also test your urine midstream. Right? Same thing, wait about 10 seconds. Don't want to wait too long and leave the paper there. It will turn yellow. It's a readily available test. And this can start to tell you what's actually going on in your body. And tracking what's actually happening in your body is one of the most powerful things that you can do to start preventing disease, remember that? Staying young forever, staying on the track of true, true health. Right? So we got to this discussion of acidity and alkalinity when we were talking about milk, because milk is something that people often think is really alkaline. Would you think that milk was alkaline? Well, the thing is that it is alkaline. If I put that litmus paper in milk, right, outside of the body, but because of the reaction that the body has, remember the mucous membrane coming up, the mucus forming? Right? It's acidifying inside of the body. Now, when I asked you for alkaline things, someone said lemons, I think, or limes, right? You were talking about citrus. Well, citrus is the opposite. Outside of the body, you better bet that citrus is acidic. But when it comes into the body, the effect that it has inside of the body is alkalizing. Does that make sense? So that's the only caveat there. It's a little, little confusing. I want you to keep it simple, keep it basic, stay with a calm, slow breath. Yes, because it's a rainy day special, so I'll let you ask questions. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, so we start to see a little more of the reason why not only milk, but maybe coffee, maybe alcohol, why these things are normal in the world of today, right? and why maybe they're not beneficial to health. And if we were just to stick to beverages, maybe I'll, touch, I'll only talk about beverages. Right? But we could extend this also to sugar, because right? all of these things are very acidic. Coffee, alcohol, that's a level two or level three acidity. And this is an exponential scale, which means that six is 10 times as acidic as seven. Five is 100 times as acidic as seven. Four is 1,000 times as acidic as seven. Three is 10,000 times as acidic as seven. You start to see, yeah? And coffee, alcohol, level two or three of acidity, right? Milk there, three or four. These are super acidic things. What happens when they come inside of the body is the body says, ah, panic, panic, 
I need to save this human body and re-alkalize the blood. Remember, your blood cannot deviate. And so your body is willing to do whatever it takes to make sure to maintain that slight alkalinity of the blood. Well, one of the most alkalizing minerals in the body, it is no surprise, calcium. Where do we find calcium? We already went over this. In the bones. So when we take in these things, coffee, alcohol, milk, for example, white sugar, what's happening is that the body is actually leaching calcium from the bones, taking calcium from the bones to realkalize the blood. So now, I'm not only presenting you that scientific study of the countries with the three highest rates of milk consumption, also have the highest rates of osteoporosis, right? But I'm explaining to you the biological process as to why. Right? It's a condition called acidosis in the body, where the body's constantly trying to realkalize the blood to keep you alive, and thereby taking calcium from the bones. That's incredible, because most Western doctors just think that the bones weaken over time. Right? This is the process of aging, and what I'm trying to show is that aging is a myth, for sure. There's a certain thing about cellular division no longer happening as much, and cellular replication not happening as much, and that over the long term, that yeah, you'll start to not function as well as you did when you were seven years old. But in general, people today are so direly aging prematurely, right? And these diseases that we have are due mostly to diet and lifestyle which means, by all means, that they're preventable. All right, so that's where a doctor like me, a young doctor like me, comes in right, with some ways to think critically and start rethinking our relationship to health. Okay? So some things that we do or we eat today that are normal today, right, that perhaps we'd be better without, it would be like, what is it called, your Cuban coffee, or what is it with the coffee with alcohol? Irish coffee, is that it? The Irish, I'm wrong nationality. Irish coffee, perfect. What do we have in an Irish coffee? Anyone? Coffee. Alcohol, coffee, and sugar. milk, and sugar. <laughs> so I will, I will hereby entitle this lecture The Irish Coffee. All right, so we start to see that having something like an Irish coffee is super normal in the world of today, but that those things are incredibly degrading upon our health. Yeah? Other things on this list of things that are normally consumed are what you would find in any kind of convenience store of what probably 70% of the supermarket is made up of. The combination, are you ready, of wheat flour, hydrogenated or processed oils, right? And sugar. That's a triad. Throw milk in there, or likely milk powder, desiccated milk, different kinds of fattening substances like that. And you have this wonderful recipe for every single cookie on the shelf, for every single cereal in the aisle, for every single cake, for every single chips, for every single go on, go forth, again and again and again. It just has a different packaging, different shape, different amount of chocolate, right? Or chocolate, right? Which is actually just sugar and milk with a little brown stuff in it. Very different. Okay, so we start to see that this is lunacy, that people today are eating food-like products, that they're not actually eating food. You know it's food when it was prepared by the best chef of all time. Her name is Mother, Mother Nature. 
right? She prepares things from the dirt for you. And so if it didn't come from her, it's probably not a whole food. That's something to investigate. Um, I give other big lectures on, on gluten. Maybe you guys can come back next week for that one if you want to hear it. Or if you really want to hear it, ask it in the five minutes that I'll give you for questions. <laughs> and um, oils, processed oils. This is one of the worst ones. So I'm going to take 10 seconds to rant on this. Um, most oil that you're eating today, first of all, all oil that you're eating today is not a whole food. Olive oil, coconut oil, no matter what it is, it's not a whole food. It's been pressed out of the whole food form. The vegetable fibrous matter has been taken away and you're left with 100% fat. That's not a whole food. Right? That's an unnatural substance. It's a bit of an overdose for the body. Right? This is one of the many reasons why fried food is bad for you because there's just so much oil. Right? So that's just something to reflect on. But even with that said, we look at restaurants today. Who eats at restaurants? Yeah, you should all have your hand up. Everyone eats at restaurants, especially if you're on vacation in Ubud. <laughs> well, unfortunately, most restaurants today are using the lowest quality, lowest cost oil, which is this category that we call, unfortunately, vegetable oils. Do you know what vegetable oils means? It means nothing. Vegetable oil in general means a blend of the cheapest oils on the market, normally safflower, sunflower, right? Maybe some cottonseed, maybe some soybean, right? Throw in there canola oil. Have you heard of canola oil? Also known as rapeseed oil, yeah? Well, canola oil, its name, it comes from the Canadian Oil Company, right? In the Civil War, or all the way back perhaps, all the way up until World War II, specifically more in the early 1900s, World War II, before then, it was used as an industrial oil to lubricate machines. Yeah, nice, right? And so we had that for World War II, and then all of a sudden the war was over. There was no need for this industrial oil, right? But we had all of these fields of these beautiful yellow canola oil flowers. And the industry was already existing, and so they said, wait, we have to keep this industry alive. What will we do? And so they said, hey, feed it to humans. So this oil that went from lubricating machines all of a sudden started being fed to humans. No wonder it's one of the cheapest oils on the market. Right? So these oils, and I'll name them again, soybean oil, corn oil, right? sometimes rice bran oil, right? safflower oil, canola oil, also known as rapeseed oil. Right? I think I might have forgotten one or two, but these oils are some of the most inflammatory substances that we consume regularly today. Regularly. Okay. And so if we're looking for things that are normal, or things that people have every day, milk, sugar, alcohol, right? Definitely coffee, right? Definitely these oils, right? gluten, wheat, flour. These are things that I would not recommend that any human being consume. All right? So I have a list of restaurants in Ubud that only cook with coconut oil. If you're going to be cooking with any oil, coconut oil is pretty much number one. If you're going to use an oil as a salad dressing, something like a whole cold fresh pressed seed oil, whether that's like avocado or whether that's, uh, well, that's a fruit oil, or whether that's olive, also a fruit oil, or whether that's something like pumpkin seed oil or linseed oil or other fresh 
cold-pressed oils like that. They can be used as salad dressings if you're going to be cooking really pretty much only coconut oil. These are ways to stay safe. When you cook those other, the vegetable oils, this is what I did to the kids in Taiwan. Right? The vegetable oils, they're so destable because, again, it's not a whole food, that when you light them to flame, the chemical structure goes like this. And you guys are not as easily amused as 10-year-olds. Right? The chemical structure totally morphs. And when it morphs, it's seen in the body as toxicity. So we're back to that conversation of what is cancer 20 years before. Does that make sense? All right. Okay, so we're going to close this chapter on dairy, close the chapter on things that people normally consume that I wouldn't recommend. And I don't know, I don't really have too much time to talk about juicing. But uh, this is a fast food, um, quick fire, start fast, sure way to get the goodness of alkalinity in your bloodstream. Right? And I don't want to be marketing because I talked bad about marketing before. So please buy your own juicer, make it yourself. Um, but cold-pressed juices are awesome. I, I recommend specifically green juices, which means that you're juicing leafy green vegetables and other actual fruits that we call vegetables, things like cucumbers, right? And that juice, when it's had on an empty stomach, right, you drink it within 15 minutes of being juiced, hopefully, right? so it doesn't oxygenate and lose its nutrient density because it's very fragile, just like that oil was, because right? it's not a whole food. But what happens, it's a miraculous thing, because we draw out the chlorophyll, the plant food, the green stuff, out of the plant. And that chlorophyll is almost identical in structure to hemin, the color in human blood. And so when those two things come in contact, it's almost like they switch places. And so this is one of the most efficient ways and effective ways to detoxify the blood simultaneously while getting a whole load of vitamins and minerals right, from the plants while getting a big dose of alkalinity and certainly hydration right? and fast food nutrients directly to the cell because if you're having your juice on an empty stomach which is the only way to drink your juice you know you see people in Ubud having like their five course salad meal and their raw vegan thing with their smoothie and then their green juice on the side and they're going back and forth and like you know having sips of their green juice and they're like look at me I'm so good and you're like well you just wasted your 40,000 on your green juice because it's not doing anything it needs to come into an empty stomach so it can be directly absorbed into the stomach lining and thus into the bloodstream, straight shot to the cell. All right? So drink your green juice on an empty stomach. Um, juicing is awesome. If you're talking about juicing fasting, I don't know what your question was about, um, but come back for another week. I do talk about that quite regularly. I also have a podcast online. That's why I have a mic on tonight. This will be a, one of our podcast series. What are we going to call it? The Irish Coffee? Okay, good. I'll, I'll entitle it that. I'll dedicate it to all of you. And, um, yeah, try, try out juicing. Have some juice for breakfast tomorrow. Let me know how it goes. Um, does anyone have any burning questions? Yes. That was burning. Mm. I'll post it on the Facebook page. I have a little, a bit of a ghetto map that I drew out myself. Um, yeah, I'll post it. Yeah. So, uh, anyone else have any burning questions? Yes. So, would you have a green juice and maybe have food That sounds like a great idea. Yeah, and that's a great plug as well for next week's lecture. Not that I'm marketing, because I want to give you things for free, so that doesn't count as marketing. I want to give you a ton of free information next week. It is um, my most popular lecture. It's called Food Combining. And because we start the detox retreat week this Wednesday, 
Um, we will be talking about food combining next Monday night, so it'll be a big old group. And uh, I'll be talking about how things move through the stomach and specifically the physiology of digestion in the human stomach. And so uh, you can learn a lot more about timings of things, how things work or how they don't, and why. Yes? It already is. Yeah, so if you're leaving Bali, uh, why would you ever do that? But if you are leaving Bali, uh, you can go to liveforvitality.com, click on the tab that says podcast, and you can download it and listen to it as you go to sleep tonight. <laughs> cool. Anything else? All right, you guys are awesome. The conversation doesn't have to, con doesn't have to finish here. It can continue. Um, and I have a Facebook page. It's not my website. It's a Facebook page where I post almost every day, and usually multiple times a day, except when I'm crazy busy in Malaysia. And uh, I post here reminders and new facts, new studies, information, things to bring you back to this process of critical inquiry about health. Yeah? So please uh, go ahead and log on there and click like, and I answer all messages on there personally. So three years from now, when you're in crisis and you have a burning question then, because you didn't ask it right now, you can ask me then. All right. So I also have little cards um, with that that on it and my website on it so you can take those my first time I've had them here there's also an iridology chart uh, it's too small to read though um, and we do have some spots left for the detox retreat week that's coming up and Michael who is one of our amazing resident detox department um, family will be joining the detox so you can come up and talk to Michael or me uh, at the end of class if you're interested in joining that starts on Wednesday all right you guys are absolutely amazing remember you don't have to change anything at all just bring in that consciousness. Okay. Thank you so much. Good night. Awesome. Incredible people. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Remember, you don't have to change anything right away. Simply become more consciously aware. Tune in next time for more interpretations of our body signals. And don't forget to reprioritize your life around your health to live with maximum vitality.